Log Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate usually about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solution and leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. I said usually because tonight we have a very special um, treat that we're going to uh, extend the show a bit, and we've allocated about an hour tonight. Uh, because we have a panel, a very special panel of black men and fathers of boys, and they're going to talk and share with the discussions that they've had um, and cautions, concerns about uh, what it means to be a black man in America. Um, been, there's been a lot of talk and research and, and discussion about this conversation and especially over the last year, that conversation that so many black men have had with their sons have also been a part of, at having been sons, um, have been a part of that conversation. And so um, there are a number of them here um, that I'm just I'm, I'm happy to introduce all of you to. Um, we have uh, Dr. Dwayne Davis. Here, who's joining us from California. We have Mr. Jewel Smith, who's joining us from New Orleans. We have uh, Mr. Larry Lopes, who is attorney, sorry, uh, Larry Lopes, um, also who is joining us from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. We have uh, Mr. Langston Longley, um, who's joining us from Atlanta, Georgia, and Mr. Terrence Mitchell, who is in Cleveland, Ohio. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Mr. Mitchell is at Cleveland, correct? That's correct. Okay. Got it all right. So welcome to all of you. Uh, this panel, um, they're going to really add to the national conversation um, that has been going on, particularly what has happened with, you know, we, we're in this week where uh, the jury has been seated in the the trial for um, the uh, police officer um, who is uh, uh, accused and standing trial for the murder of George uh, George Floyd, uh, and and we're in the middle of uh, uh, this conversation again, and it just seems like year after year after year we we've been a part of this conversation. Uh, this week there is. A, a series um, here on the Perkins podcast. We started out on Monday night where I introduced um, many of you to my daughter, Erin, who is a sociology uh, major at uh, Ohio State University. And uh, we talked about uh, James Baldwin's letter to his um, nephew, which really is a part of this. And then we, last night, we had a conversation with a writer, author, uh, Mr. William Spivey, who 
talked extensively about the vestiges of discrimination um, faced by blacks in America. And now we are having this conversation um, that's the first of two, one tonight with men about their sons, and tomorrow night to close out the four-part series, we have women um, who are going to share, a panel of women who are going to share with the conversations they had to have with their daughters. And I, I approach this with you know, a great deal of mixed emotions, and while I'm excited to have um, these gentlemen join us and be a part of this conversation, I'm also um, saddened, frustrated um, to say a few of those words that I'm, I'm feeling right now because the conversation has to even exist. The conversation I'm talking about between men and their and, and their sons and men, also in the case of James Baldwin and his nephew, I, I only have girls, so I, I didn't have this conversation with my, my son, but I, I, as I don't have any sons, but I, I have younger men in my family, and I think about some of the conversations that we've had as well. But I'll reflect just a moment on that conversation that my father had. And I think that's where I'd like to start. I grew up in a, a, a fairly rural town and area in northern Alabama, northwest Alabama. It's known as Muscle Shoals area. And um, my father grew up also in the area but I remember distinctly as a boy, my father, I had this, this incident once, and uh, a friend of mine was a young white boy. We were, I, I'm going to say we were about 13 years old at the time. I do remember that neither one of us had a driver's permit, but we were about 13 years old at the time, and so this white boy was a friend of mine, and so we, we'd ride bicycles together, and I'd have to go over to the white side of town for us to ride bicycles. But at 13, his father was a banker. And at 13, his father, his father had bought him a 1968 Mustang. Now, I mean, it wasn't a new car because I'm not that old, but his father brought him this classic Mustang. It's a 1968 Mustang. And all our parents were at work. And he said, while we were there, he was like, I know where the keys are. And he said, I can't drive. Can you drive? And I was like, yeah, I can drive. And so we jump in the car. And me and the white boy in Alabama. And we're driving around town, just riding around, go over in my neighborhood. And lo and behold, guess who we run into? My aunt. She passed us on the other way, and she saw us. And so we went on back to his house, but of course she told my father, and I never will forget what my father said when he came back. And he said, nothing happened, you know, there weren't any accidents or anything like that, but he said, listen, if something happens to you in that car, 
and you drive in that car with no driver's license, so that means there's no insurance, he said, I won't be able to get you out of trouble. His father will be able to get him out of trouble. No matter what it is, he'll be fine. You won't be. You are a little black boy. They will never forgive you for what happens. That's what my father told me. There wasn't a lot of explanation, but I remember that conversation. And there were a lot of others like that. But it was, there's a different system was the message. And the conversations that followed, those were the kinds of things that I had to grapple with is even as a young boy, and in this case a teenager, 13 years old, having to process that that's what the system does. It's unforgiving for you. This was advice that came from my father. And he had an experience, I'll share that later in the broadcast, but that was what was being passed down. You're, you, you are different because you are a black boy. No, didn't mince words about it. You are different. The system won't treat you the same. And so I use that to start out kind of to, to, to jump off into this conversation and just ask, so I'll start with the panel Anybody else have a similar experience where you you had your father or an adult male in your family as a young age? Share with us a little bit any anything that you might have um, that that you could uh, describe what it is that that you heard as a young boy. I could share Dr. Perkins if that's all right. Yeah, but all means. So a um, little different, but really the same. Um, I grew up in a house with a father who I've shared with you who um, grew up in a colonial regime and um, essentially a militaristic state where you had to look a certain way, act a certain way, um, or your life was in jeopardy. And even though I was born in the United States after he immigrated, he instilled the concern, the awareness um, that his father instilled in him in West Africa. And um, he told me a story about himself that I've told my sons, um, how he was actually pulled out of school for being too smart. Um, He would correct the teachers um, and at the time, it was, a, a, a like I said, a colonial regime uh, run by the Portuguese. And um, my grandfather was contacted and told that, you know, perhaps you should homeschool him because um, if he continues this, it's going to cost him his life potentially. Um, growing up, working in law enforcement for a number of years before switching to education, um, I started to see the same things. And... Um, I would always recognize the situation before it developed and pull myself out of it because of the stories my father would tell. So I was fortunate in that sense. However, but for my father's experiences and his 
some people would say harsh hand in instilling that in me and my siblings, um, I would have been caught up. I, I, I've seen the situation that you've described. I've seen, um, you know, young men get pulled into the system for joyriding, and they never get out um, because it falls in wherever they go. So I am uh, acutely aware of those types of situations, and uh, as a result, I try to instill it in my students as well as my two young boys. Um, like I said, it wasn't necessarily me, but it was definitely my father, and um, because of that, you know, uh, my third eye is open, so to speak. That makes sense. Gotcha. Gotcha. Anybody else? Um, I would say, interestingly enough, this is Terrence uh, here in Cleveland. Um, I didn't grow up with the father, and so I would say, you know, all the things that you all talked about your father attempt or fathers attempting to prevent um, and to um, protect you from uh, were all things that, unfortunately, uh, I, I was I succumbed to um, when I was in school. I remember uh, being berated by teachers. Um, and having no one to defend me. Um, I remember being arrested the first time that I was arrested was in seventh grade on public transportation. And um, my mother coming to get me out of um, uh, out of jail, um, you know, them letting me go that day. Um, and it being, uh, my feeling is that I was wrong for um, just laughing on the train with friends um, I remember, again, being arrested in 11th grade um, uh, because of some kids throwing rocks, and uh, I'm in a, literally in a suit and tie. And the things that I felt as it relates to black men in Cleveland, it, it felt like that there was this very docile nature and that the concept of living here was that you had to get along um, and be very humble in the things that you do and say. And I never felt that that level of protection um, or or that father, that fraternal uh, support. Um, and it always made me think about the type of father that I would be or the type of reflections um, and things that I will pour into my own sons. And it, it, all, it often make me, makes me think about, you know, how do I know that these are the things that I should be articulating to him? Or how can I make sure that the experiences that uh, you all have may, have may have received from your father who had those experiences, now this is our first opportunity to make those connections and for me to really speak firsthand uh, to my son. But it's just very interesting living in Cleveland, growing up in Cleveland, um, in the north or the Midwest or wherever we would call it, and it is still this very uh, forced humility um, this very docile nature um, and this very um, system of this is the way things are and this is the way that we treat them. And, and I experienced that at a young age, um, and I also felt that that experience is what it oftentimes starts in, in the schools. And these are some of the, the feelings and the sentiments that the police have are some of the same feelings and, and um, microaggressions that I often face in school as well. And so it became very normal, um, these, these, these situations. And, and, and that continues to just be a struggle in my life and, and just pain and um, really thinking about the things that I, that I do as an educator as well moving forward. 
Dr. Perkins, this is Dwayne Davis. And so I'll say I had the good fortune of having two fathers, actually, as I grew up, Uh, my biological father as well as my stepfather. Um, So I've had the models in my life, but I can say, you know, as as I walked the walk with them and had the conversations with them, I always kept coming back to, but why? You know, when you're young and impressionable, and you think the world is fair, you're looking for fairness. And so uh, in elementary school, one of my best friends was a white guy. His name was David. I'll leave his last name off. And we would go everywhere to stop and go. If you know what stop and go is, it would be like the the Circle K or the 7-Eleven of today. Uh, We would go to the local park, just so forth and so on. And that was my running buddy. Um, And I would – do things with him. We would do things, you know, kid stuff. And I would be the one that would get more in trouble, if you want to put it in that fashion, than he would. And I would always be like, well, what's going on with that? As they both try to articulate the differences, if you will, it never, well, I should say never, it didn't register with me as a child because, you know, we talk fairness. And so my question was always, well, why? Why is it that he can do X and then I'm the one getting punished. Or why can't we both be involved in, I don't know, pushing a go-kart or going to the 7-Eleven or going to stop and go, but I'm the one that gets in trouble, and they're calling my parents. Um, I don't want to say that they ever really were able to articulate it to me other than not just that's the way it is, but trying to make some sense of it, but it still never made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And so I'll fast forward into today. I have a son. My son is 17. He'll be 18 in two months. Um, I recall Trayvon Martin. That was 2012. The whole whole big to-do with Trayvon Martin and Zimmerman and the various riots throughout the nation. So you know, back, back up to 2012, we're talking, what, 11 years ago? My son's 17, he'll be 18. He's like seven years old. And, of course, you can't shield him from everything. And his question to me, and this, this almost broke me, was, Dad, why do they hate us so much? Why do they hate us? I don't understand. And he actually mm-hmm. said, is it wrong to be black? And, mm. you know, how do you answer that question? And so it reminded me of the conversations that I, and the questions I would have for my fathers on, but why? Because they really couldn't articulate to me why there were certain things that I should and shouldn't do while never, ever uh, deferring, I guess, my boyhood or childhood to any other individual, just as I couldn't articulate to my son why they hate us so much. And so mm-hmm. it, it was a surreal moment for me when he asked me that question because I was stumped, really stumped myself. Uh, and I tried, just as I'm certain they tried with me, to articulate and explain it to him, and he was looking at me at the end of the conversation with, like, still don't know what you're talking about, but I'm going to leave it alone because apparently you don't have the answer for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, you, know, you, yeah, you, 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 you raised mm-hmm. – no, you, you raised a really um, – powerful point in in just as I think about the idea of a young child 
hearing that and and walking away and asking the question so why do they hate us so much and i don't think i don't think there are many people equipped to have an explanation for that um i think there there when i think back to the conversations and we had so many of them um particularly me growing up in alabama that it was it was something that kind of one of the phenomena of the world of of you know of the universe that it's just that way and i don't know if any of you others and uh, by the way we have another guest joined us in the in the meantime um uh mr dumaka moultrie mr moultrie welcome dumaka. and uh good, good evening everyone yes um, and who's joined us. Um, uh, but I, I'd want to ask if there's anyone of you who also, you know, experienced that kind of being stuck. Um, just as Dwayne mentioned, he's like, I, I don't know, like the, 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 the men, before we get to, you know, our sons and nephews and others, before we get to them, your experience, though, that stuck place of, well, why? Why is it like that? And people being unable to explain it. Anybody else have that experience or something similar? Um, this is Langston Longley here in Atlanta. So I've, I've had similar experiences like that, and, but it, I chose to allow it to motivate me. And when I say that, you know, context is everything. So this concept of the talk, that I would imagine I grew up in Miami, Florida, uh, but like I tell people, I'm kind of a first-generation city person. Uh, my dad being from uh, Nassau, from being from the Bahamas, my mother being originally from a small town in Florida. So their perspectives are very, very different than what my experience was growing up. I grew up in the city around a lot of people that look like me, around a lot of cultures. When you live in a very small place in central Florida, that's a different experience. Uh, when, you know, you grow up on an island, that's a different experience. So they could only bring their experiences to raising me in that different context. I was lucky enough so that that concept of being a very inquisitive child of like, well, why is, why is this that way? Why, you know, how does this work? And sometimes, you know, there's a space where you grow up and you feel like, okay, well, you're just asking too many questions. It is the way it is. You know, that was the generation that we kind of grew up in. But what, uh, to speak to my dad, we didn't. Ha- I don't think we ever had the talk. What we did was he did a lot of leading through example, which shows the power of even having a father. Um, a lot of leading through example of having them having them feel this necessary to be twice as good, if you will, you know, all the time. So when I'm in this space, okay, but when I am somewhere else, I have to be better. I have to be smarter. I have to think faster. I have to run faster. I have to answer mm-hmm. questions. Get the mm-hmm. best grades. Uh, and you know, and I can't say that that wasn't a neg- that wasn't a positive thing for me. That really motivated me in a lot of spaces. Whenever I stepped out of my comfort, when I'm around my people, I can be one of the guys. When I'm here in a different space, now I, I need to be motivated again. And so, as much as you may try to shield your kids and think, okay, well, now I live in Atlanta, they don't have to experience this. If they play sports or they participate in any competitions, that's a, a lot of places where sometimes those of us who are from what we consider to be, you know, cities, 
And we experienced that, playing Little League football and we're out of town and we beat a team and it's getting close to dark and then you start to see people telling you, I think you all might want to go home. You're going to need to get out of here. It's not safe for you all to still be here. Like that is it's somewhat traumatizing for a child to first start to understand that until you learn how to navigate. I work with a mentor group here uh, called The Young Gents in Atlanta, and the book we were reading on Sunday, the title of it was Twice as Good, which was about one of the uh, black men who was the first golfer. And then so even though I have my own two boys as an educator, I've had to have this talk every year with kids, you know, when I, you know, as a teacher in my class, small faces, because when you have to teach about segregation, when you have to teach about, you know, slavery or, you know, our history, they want to know. And then so you don't get the luxury of having that talk. You get this annual discussion on a yearly basis to where the best that I could offer them is, you know, everybody makes their own decisions. Everyone is not like that. But I'm going to prepare you for the worst-case scenario, and this is how you will know how to operate to be safe. Because a mistake as a black man could cost you your life. That's right. That's right. Right. You know, what you said, Langston, really resonates with me um, as well. I have three sons, uh, the oldest 25, the youngest 18. Um, And so I've definitely had to talk with all three of them. Um, The talk, I would, I had to, someone had to talk with me. I'm from rural South Carolina. So having to talk is definitely a matter of survival, but you you use the word navigating and and that's what really kind of, the part that I, I wrestle with the most with my son, um, getting them to, and I guess I'll, I'll use um, Dr. Bettina Love's term. She called it spirit murdering. And and I, I have to find balance in how do I get these young kings to right. um, understand how they have to comply with authority, mm. even if they are in the right, but still maintain their fire and passion as a king, as mm-hmm. understanding that they have the right, um, they have rights, and that they 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 have the right to stand up for themselves, and um, and they and they they know right from wrong. Um, but here, I have to give a message that sometimes, even son, even if you're in the right and you didn't do anything, you have to humble yourself and comply. And so that's what gets my goat. You know that. You know, I almost have to get them to dial down their spirit, dial down their passion in certain situations in order to survive. Mm-hmm. And so that, I just wanted to share that. You know. Yeah. With, yeah. With you know that. that yeah. Thank you for thank you so much for sharing that. And I've heard people who have talked about the struggle, and I um, I've had that in different <laughs> contexts where I've had. African-American students and people um, who want to kind of teach them how to, um, I guess, how to say it, how to, how to be uh, submissive, so to speak, in in Ooh. way that you just mentioned. Um, and I've had to explain uh, to some of my um, counterparts that aren't black that to to try to understand that, if if some of these men and women come with a certain edge, it's because the system will eat them up otherwise. You know, the, the way the, the world is, 
is that they have to have that edge. They, and, I, and I hear you talking about the struggle of, so how do, I, how do they maintain the fire and know when to fight? And then how do they, how, you know, how do you turn that on? Like how, do they, how can they learn how to turn that switch on and off? I think it's a it's a really powerful question and dilemma. I don't have the answer. I don't pretend to have the answer, but I do, I do know that it's real. It's it's you know I've encountered it personally, but I, I have so many friends um, that have also said that I I don't want to take that fire out of him. I want him to keep that edge. I want him to be hungry. I want him to have the 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 strength and and also the courage to stand up for himself at the right time. Yeah, so, uh, go ahead. Okay, well, uh, Dr. Corbett, this is uh, Joel Smith, and hello, uh, gentlemen. Uh, good to hear some of y'all voice. I haven't heard you in a while. So, um, but, but, you know, I, I think it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a different different avenue, you know, as we, as we talk about, you know, thinking back from what your father's taught you and, I can't just say my father. He did tell, teach me some valuable lessons, but you know, I also learned from my, my brothers and my and my coaches and, and you know, some of the people around me. And you know, my mother played a strong role in, in me understanding, you know, the ways of these people. And she could, you know, someone keep it simple and they're you know, uh, you know, not being educated but being so so wise, you know, just just, you know, her her constant treat everybody with respect, you know, treat treat her, you know, be kind, you know what I mean? Uh you know, in a way, my parents, you know, as we, we learned in, in, in uh, some of our, our master class, they modeled the way, you know, uh, showed the way in, in different experiences uh, that we had. I, I don't, I didn't know it, 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 why my mother put me on an all-white baseball team. Like, I could have played in my neighborhood. She took me out to a different neighborhood and put me on an all-white baseball team, you know, and, and, and just through that experience, I, I, I felt more comfortable. You know, I had friends. You know, I had parents and dads, our coaches, the officer, and we spent the night at their house. You know, we, we took these trips and played these games, and, and I kind of, you know, got to know them. Uh, and then also as a, as a my father at a service station and working in the public, you know, everybody comes in. You're not turning down anything, you know what I mean, especially if they're giving big tips when you're like 8 to 10, you know. Uh, but but getting a chance to you know develop relationships with with, with all kind of folks you know uh, made, you know gave me a sense of uh, you know gave me some more confidence as I as I navigated out there. So you know as I raised my son, he's ten years old now, and you know he has it figured out. You know he, he uh, I was just talking to him the other day. He has, uh, he has it figured out. We should just we should just get robocops, man. We we you know fix the situation. He's trying to get a solution. Let's get robocops. You know, like, like you, you weren't even born when that movie was out. How do you know about RoboCop? <laughs> you know, but but you know he has a solution. But but we can instill in him, I instill in him. You know, have no fear, man. You know, don't don't have. You can't. You know, treat and and go into situations and, and you know be fearful. Like you know, you, you know you're doing good. You know you're doing right. Putting good into the universe. You know, you know things. I still worked out. You know, and, and learn and communicate the right way. You know, and that's in any field. It, you know, it's, it's it's black folks that hate black folks out here. I mean, we yeah. just, just two kids died the other night, 17, 18. You know what I mean? Um, you know, so so it, you know, communication and and, and you know, handling conflict, being able to, to to navigate and learn those skills, that's, that's valuable. You know, um, 
And then, you know, one thing he taught us at, at, at Columbia, which which uh, shocked me, the first class he had was mindfulness. You know, it's just being able to, you know, let them hang. It's okay to think and be able to, you know, catch your emotions, you know. Um, you know, because I've been that guy with, with, a, with a, police, a police foot on my back. You know what I mean? I've been that guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I, I felt that. You know, I felt that energy. And I felt it many times, but... You know, people that have been with me were like, Jay, you're crazy, man. Just be quiet. And I was like, man, man, we have not done anything wrong. We have my, my, my license and my insurance, as my father told me. Stay, stay, stay good. Stay clean. You, you don't have nothing to, you know, have everything together. You know, don't do anything, you know, like you're not supposed to be doing. And you have, you should have no fear. You shouldn't have worried. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so, so, um, and, 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 and hey, you, you know, there's bad people everywhere. There's, I've, I've yeah. met some really awesome police officers. And I met some bad ones. You know, I was at the time I was 22 years old, y'all. With, with you know, for first year in the, in, the, in the NFL, money in my pocket. You know, with gold chains on. You know, live, I was living it up. You know, nice yeah. car, beat music. Couldn't even hear. Messing my my hearing, hearing ain't right right now because of it probably. But uh, sure. but you know, and then I see a, I see the police officer hit a U turn and, and and hit the lights and pull me over. And and I was I had my tags was good. I had everything. You know, and, and I said, this is this ain't right from the start. You know, I, I can see the wrong in him. And, and sure. the next thing you know, um, you know, he he's assuming I'm selling drugs. He's assuming, I didn't tell him I play play professional ball. It was you know, giving him my, my government name. You know, and and and, uh, and, and next thing you know, he's he's asking me questions. I'm not answering any questions. I don't have to answer these questions. Next thing I know, he's on. I'm on the ground, slammed to the ground with a. I had a white, all white sister on the ground with his foot on my back. You know. And, and until he found out, like uh, he, he plays football, someone stopped and said, "This is this is a Kansas City Chiefs player right here." Then everything changed. You know what I mean? So, so I know there's bad people out there. So that's why I tell my sons, you know, just just you know, stay right, get you stay grounded, treat people with respect, and, and, and communicate. Yes, and and um, you you know, you just said something that drew back a memory for me. It was not so much about the you know when I was a, a young boy, but these are the kinds of things that happen throughout, you know, our lives as black men. Um, I never will forget. I, um, I think all of you know that I was on the school board in New Haven, Connecticut. And I remember one, um, one year, our boys and girls basketball team was in the state championship uh, um, comp- uh, competition for basketball. And, um, I went to, it was in a district that was um, in Connecticut, probably 90% white. And uh, and so we're there. And after the game was over, our kids won. And uh, we're walking out. And I say, we, I was, so I was the board president. I was walking out of the game with um, the school, um, the superintendent of schools, who was a black man, and the city of New Haven's, um, um, city clerk, um, the number two person in the in the city, uh, was a black man as well. And so the three of us were together walking out. And as we were walking out, a police officer, a white police officer, said, um, uh, "Are you fellas um, the bus drivers?" And I <laughs> turned, and they just grabbed me. <laughs> I mean, I I, I was going to say like what, but but. I turned to say something and they just said, Perkins, come on, just come. Just don't, don't say anything. But, but there are things that happen that we have to prepare our children for 
that, um, and I'm just listening to you, Jewel, about, you know, um, you, you know your, your father may have told you, you know, you can have your insurance together, um, your, your car, everything in order doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be still be treated fairly or with respect. Um, and that's something, that's another part of the conversation that, that has to happen. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, um, we're already well into the conversation about um, black men and who they have, um, the, the com- who they have the conversation with the talk, their boys, their nephews. Um, and, um, and so uh, I, I see that the switchboard here is illuminated. A lot of calls. I'm going to try my best. I know that there are people on the panel haven't had a chance to speak, want to speak. I do want to take um, a couple of calls and then uh, make room for other people to call in. There are a lot of people. Please excuse me if I don't get to you. Um, but I'm going to, okay, I'm going to take this, this first call. Someone dialing in from 305 area code. Um, 305 area code, are you there? Oh, he's going to take a couple of calls. 305 area code are you there okay i'm not sure they are listening in they've been on hold for a while i'm going to move to the next call we have a 786 area code are you there oh call dropped okay so let's go ahead i know there were a few of you had some uh had some things you wanted to say um go ahead continue um, yeah, so this is um, this, this idea of necessity, right? When we're talking about the talk, and I think about this space that we're in. I don't know all of these gentlemen, but I know some of them. And this is a really highly educated space. But the fact of I think about you know my first driving while black experience, being pulled, and I was a passenger, being pulled out of a car, handcuffed, put on the curb for an alleged wide turn, uh, more like. This car is not up to the standard for this neighborhood that you're in. You know, why are you here? And I heard multiple stories already of arrests. And the fact that in a space of this many highly educated men, that's a reality for most of us. If we were probably to take a pool, everyone or almost everyone would have either been arrested or been handcuffed at some point in time without even actually having to have committed any crimes. That's the reality of of the black man. But now that we're in a generation, I look at a generation that comes behind us, you know, our sons, this is a generation of questioning everything. I got to, expo- you know, express myself, express my opinion, you know, all of those things. While we socially, emotionally, that's great, you still live in this same world. And if you can bring that attitude into the experience that we have, I fear that our children may not make it out of it. So that's what makes the talk now Maybe I wouldn't say more important than ever, but because the idea of the way our children are expressing themselves and be confident, I just try to express to them, you have to be a thinking man. You have to win the war. You know, you you can't win every battle. You want to go home tonight. You don't need to prove that you're right or that you, you know, what you're not going to stand for. Now, that doesn't mean you stand hat in hand. You speak proudly. You articulate yourself. But there is an extent, and we got to teach them where that line is. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely, I want to thank Dr. You for Perkins. We do, in Phoenix, we do Know Your Rights uh, workshops. And um, one of the stories that I tell 
the students as well as my, I have to tell my kids is being in the law enforcement field, being on a warrant sweep, in the car with the commissioner, me being the department head, and somebody that knew me that was in the group calling me saying, are you driving the brown car? Yeah, I am. All right, hey, they were just about to pull you over. I'm like, who's about to pull me over? The other cars. I'm like, we all left the station together. You all know who I look like. He's like, don't worry about it. And my, the commissioner overheard it. Um, white man, his eyes opened up. I was like, yeah, that, that's how it is. And when I tell students and my kids that story that even with a badge in your pocket, you're not exempt from this type of behavior. It really wow. opens their eyes. And like the last speaker said, this is the age of, uh, of, you know, inquiry. They're on YouTube. They're on Discord. They're on all these multimedia platforms where they're getting all kind of information that you can't necessarily monitor because you don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it's, well, what they're saying. Um, but the thing I try to get across to them is, listen, especially my son, I have a 13-year-old. Um, as you know, Dr. Perkins, I'm 6'5". He's 13. He's an inch or two below me. He's got size 15 feet. And I have to tell him, when you walk in the room, just your presence commands attention. And some mm. of that attention is going to be fear. And he learned it the hard way last year by being dragged out of the classroom for rocking in his chair. Um, but what I, I try to explain to them is, when you hear people talking about minorities get this benefit, minorities get that benefit, the only benefit that matters is the one we don't get, and that's the benefit of the doubt. And I try to tell them, you will never be given the benefit of the doubt. Before anybody makes a decision about you, your behavior, your activities, they are going to assume that it's negative. They're going to assume that it's, uh, you pose a danger, you pose a threat. So make sure when you carry yourself, as one of the speakers said earlier, you do the best you can because you don't know what the results are going to be. You carry mm -hmm. yourself a certain way, you speak a certain way, and you be aware because you could be the best orator, the, the most intelligent, the, the valedictorian, and you still might end up with your face down and the boot on your neck. Absolutely. Um, and which, which I'm, I'm glad you brought that up um, about kind of interacting with the police because that's a very important part. Of you know, you think about what's been happening, um, and it, it never ended. You know, so there are people who say things like, uh, "What what has been happening recently?" No, what has been captured more recently on uh, cell phones has been the you know the abuse of black men um, on you know on the side of the road, what have you. I'm, I'm reminded of a film that came out in 2004. Some of you may remember it. It was called Crash. But there were all these different scenes. But there was one scene that I think about that was, um, was Terrence Howard played a role, and he was a movie producer, but he got pulled over by the police, and he was trying his best to de-escalate the situation. And it didn't go so well, but it it he had the he had the background. Somebody, you know, if you think about the character and the development of the character's life, taught him that he had to de-escalate, and it's a skill set. 
And I know I've been put in those situations where against, like you've done nothing wrong, but there are people who, who kind of ratchet up the situation and you know that if the police show up or if someone in authority shows up, you're going to be the one that gets the, you know, kind of the, the, the bad end of it. So you, you try to deescalate. And so have you, have you thought about that with your boys and, and tried to give them the, the language, the dispositions of when they see things about to, um, to go in a direction that isn't productive are they getting the skills to to de-escalate the situation? Yeah, this is Dwayne Davis. Yeah, like I was saying, I have a son of seventeen, and so you know, I want to backtrack just a bit. You know, we we used the word submission earlier, and I'm gonna be real honest. I don't I don't teach my son or any other men that I work with or the young men I work with to submit. Uh, what I do tell them is to be cognitive thinkers and to be very aware of the situation surrounding. And touching very much on what you're speaking about right now, awareness of the situation on the tone and tenor and, and how it's, how it's um, unfolding, um, for lack of a better phrase. You know, you want them to be able to read situations and understand how to address it. And so for, for me, my son being 17, he's driving now, like he just brought back the car and just walk in. Um, I try to make certain he's understanding where he is, who he is, never ever allowing them to emasculate him, but also recognizing that you need to be respectful of individuals, no matter if you are black or white or if the officer is black or white, and read the situation so that you understand if it's escalating or not, so that you can either, A, try to de-escalate it, um, or if you need to make sure you and unfortunately need to be able to be, protect yourself because sometimes it doesn't even matter what you do or say if there's a knucklehead that wants to do something just your presence is enough and so I do make sure he understands how to read situations and read people's language, body language if you will as well as their um, moods, mannerisms so that he can step aside of it or step around it or in worst case scenario need to defend himself because oftentimes we are caught in those situations. One of the other speakers online mentioned it himself. I know I've been arrested and he himself said all of us for the most part on his phone have been arrested at one point or another as young adults. Um, that's not to say we've been booked and tried and all that, but just being, well, I don't say just being black, but for the most part, if you're a black male, you've been pulled over, if not detained, if not arrested, at least detained at least once while they want to search your car or search you or if nothing else but just to be um, a nuisance to you to see what they can cause you to do to lose your cool. And so that's what I do with my son, and that's what I've done with my uh, nephews and the, the Sigma Beta men that I work with, as well as the uh, young men that we work with in the 100 Black Men of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so thank you uh, so much. We we have a couple more calls. I'm going to try to uh, take again some other calls. I uh, have another caller um, from from 305 area code, and so I'm going to try this one again. Is there someone there? Okay, going to try this again. And um, caller from 786 area code, are you there? Uh, yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Hello? How are you doing today? Good, good. So, so I have a, I am a, I am, I stay in Atlanta. Um, I have been raised in the South. Uh, I have been, I was born in North Carolina, so I have always been kind of taught that is a certain way you're supposed to act around white people. Mm. Uh, you kind of carry, you kind of carry that with, carry that with yourself as you kind of grow up. Um, but as I have resided here and I ride the motor, which is our public transportation, our train, um, and I see these kids who have, I don't want to call it blatant disregard, but who have, you know, they, they come, they, they loud, they had, you know, they, they got the pants off their ass and, you know, they, they communicating and they laughing and smell like, smell like weed, like in this, uh, I don't, I don't, they, I have a, that, that is where our, our generation is going. Cause they, they have no, no reference of what it is to be taught to, is you're supposed to act like what it is to be around white people. They don't give a damn. So for me, I, I don't, as, as much as I see them in our creeds, I also applaud them in our prayer because I've never known what that, I've never known that freedom. I've never known mm. what it is to be to where you are, you are, you are you. You're not doing nothing wrong. You're not causing no trouble. You just, you just being black. So it's a situation where it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because again, I, I, I have to check myself because I catch myself judging and profiling. But again, mm. for, for, for what? So now not only is it, is it me and the people around me, but now it's also the white people, so it, so now we have, so now we put them into a, a, a situation to where, damn, I can't do nothing, and mm-hmm. they, and, and they, and they are doing nothing wrong. So how, so, and I, and, and when I tell the people about that, in, uh, about my age, I'm, I'm about to be 38. So when I tell the people about that, what they say is, they call, they call them kids ignorant, but it's not, it's not ignorance. It's, 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 it's what they are. It's who they are. It is, it is their generation. That is what they do. They found comfort in that. That is their style. That is their swag. And again, it is, it is. How, how do we, how do we combat that as we, as we move forward, and not put it to where we hamstring our kids as we have been hamstrung as we've been growing up. Mm. Right. And that's exactly what I was referring to when I was talking about the fire that I see in my sons. And you see it come out in a negative way, but you also see it come out in other positive, more positive ways where they are more outspoken and someone else referenced that earlier. And then that's exactly the the conundrum that I find myself in. Um, and I understand and, and understand how you can be a little bit envious of that, as, as the caller uh, called it, freedom you know, that he saw that he never was able to do because 
we knew that it could be our life, but yet you see this younger generation not have that innate fear or that same level of innate fear that we have um, that has been ingrained in us. And and as we as I prepare for this tonight, I thought about, of course, uh, Tiny Ho- Tiny Hacking Coach book between the world and me. And one of the quotes he says, he says, "You." He's talking to his son, of course. He says, "You are growing into consciousness." And my wish for you is that you feel no need to construct yourself to make other people comfortable. And, mm-hmm. and that just kind of captures, I think, the caller's sentiment in, in mine as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, as, I, as I listen, um, and I certainly, as someone who's raised in the South and is not, certainly not unique to kind of Southern culture, but I definitely identify with everything you said about, um, you know, kind of behavior in the presence of, and um, it, it it leads me to the question though, um, then then is there as we look and listen to the the younger generation who don't seem to be. Um, restricted by some of the socialization that we got um where does that where does that fall for you does it does it feel like it is freedom for them or does it does it serve does it does it serve let me just ask this though does it serve to to uh, against them in some ways that if they are not prepared Will it will it eliminate opportunities? I, and I'm and I'm just so, thinking about it. So I guess I, so I guess, I guess for me, and why? How how is that? Why why is it that we are the only only people who have to tell people and relegate our our sons how what is presentable? Mm. That is no no nobody nobody else has to raise their kids and saying you have to fit within the confines of this box of how you look, how you move, how you sound, how you talk. Because if you don't, these are the things that's going to happen. Now, granted, two things can be true at the same time. You're right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Cause if you, because if you don't move, because if you don't move within the confines of this box, you're definitely going to, uh, you're going to become a target. You are going mm-hmm. to bring eyes upon you. You are going to eliminate opportunities. But that's also the problem. Mm. Why is it? Why so? So so to that is a uh, we we have. I, I feel like especially as as old, as older as older uh, what I call OGs. <laughs> you know we <laughs> we have we have we have to we have to move that box forward and we because. They don't. They don't listen to us because they don't. They don't get why do what. The question is why do I have to? Because mm. you do. That's, that's not to powerful. them. That's well, not that's what, you, what you mean. That is that is a powerful question. Yeah, and that so, kind of goes so, back to where we kind of started this entire conversation with why. The question that my son asked me, and the question that I asked my father is why. Um, and Dr. Dr. Perkins, I think you mentioned it best. I don't think there's too many people, if there are any at all, who can intelligently articulate that and make it make sense because it just doesn't make sense. So, 
So I, I, I guess, so I guess, I guess, I guess. So we aren't, we aren't far removed from, you know, my great grandmother just passed away. She was born in 27. And so we aren't far removed from this era of, you know, how we must act even in public. And so, and that is simply to save our lives, right? And so I'm sure your grandparents and your parents have told you know, told us things and have disciplined us in a way that one that was very similar to that post uh, to that slavery and that post slavery um, and that Jim Crow era and that segregation era. Uh, my mother was born in '65, and so she, even she had to deal with some of these things, you know. And it's interesting when we think about what we have to do for our sons and tell our sons. I have two sons, and you know, I think the, the bad that is in me from the experiences that I've had. Like my son doesn't have for those things, um, but there is, there is still resentment that I have, you know, to police officers, to administration, to people of authority, and like you said, just how powerful that voice is for those young people, and if that is an opportunity to be harnessed. But but man, what a world it would be if you know there aren't these you know restraints that we have on us, um, and and you talked about those experiences that those kids in Atlanta have. You know, from every train station, from West End to H.E. Home, all of them look a lot different than Midtown and Lindbergh. And so the environment in which these kids are are to thrive and survive in, you know, it, it, it would make anybody's exterior that much more hard um, and, and their frustrations, you know, that much more vocal and, and, um, and, and, and outwardly lived. And, and like you said, how do we look at those, those, those powerful beings uh, with this untapped potential, uh, who have been like the caged bird for so long and have an opportunity mm-hmm. to, to really to be. Mm-hmm. Well, wow, this has been an incredible conversation. We have we have just at two minutes left, and I want to give anybody who has an opportunity give the opportunity to anyone that has some just very brief um, few nuggets of advice that you'd like to give because there might be a parent out there uh, might be a single mother even a but but fathers that are out there that um, need to hear something from those of you who have been through this personally and with your sons anything you want to share just briefly uh, before we we have to end yeah, I'll say something quickly, and I said it before, it's just so important that, you know, they're always watching you. You know, the young people, they're going to follow you, and then they're going to leave, but but they take from what you give them and what you show them. And, and you know, so, so you know, you be conscious. And the ones that are working with other other youth, man, that's the powerful movement. You know, you're reaching out and giving what you have, you know, to the, to the good, to, to folks that don't have the opportunity to, to understand and know. So just keep doing what y'all doing, and we just try to model the way. Uh, I would like to briefly add, get your, you know, don't don't dim their child's light. You teach them to be smart, to be thinking men, uh, but don't dim their light. They can speak up, they can act out, but confidence, you can tell them they're smart and they're king, but when you get them involved in things, you give them activities and people to be around, you know that and you carry that experience with you more so than just the conversation. So please get them actively involved. Don't allow fear to you know, to manage their life and they don't have those experiences. So those experiences are what gonna teach them how to carry themselves with their heads up and be proud at all times. Thank Have you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much to everyone. We're out of time, but I this has been a powerful discussion. 
and I I'm, I promise you all that we're going to come back again and do this again. And so until then, though, go well, stay well, everybody. <laughs>